Welcome to the Let's Tech About Learning podcast. This is your host, Jennifer Schaefer. Stay tuned for some great learning tips, best practices, and awesome tech tools. Before we get started into the meat of the podcast, I'd really like to introduce myself to you. So my name is Jennifer Schaefer and I have lived my entire life in Texas. I grew up on the coast, but I'm currently living in central Texas. I live in New Braunfels, home of the Mighty Unicorns, and I work in San Antonio. So I started my career in education as a high school speech teacher, and I taught theater, and I taught English, and I taught Texas history for one year, and I coached UIL, and coached debate, and did speaking, and directed plays, and did lots of things. And I knew that at some point I wanted to, I wanted to leave the classroom and, and, and really have an influence on the school community outside of the classroom. And I chose the library which is kind of ironic because I'm not a huge reader. In fact, my mom says of all her children, all three of us, she's surprised that I was the librarian because I was a reader before I started school. In kindergarten, I was reading books and I read to my class, but then by first grade, I had a teacher who didn't want me to read the the things I wanted to read, who wanted me to stay with the class who was actually behind where I was in reading. And I remember being forced to read these boring Dick and Jane books to the point that I would cry. And she, I guess, didn't know what to do with me. And at some point that year, I was tested um, in quote, in air quotes, and sent to the basics plus was what we called it back then, but it was really the gifted and talented program um, where you really got to explore the things that you were passionate about and the things you like to do. Now I think about my career in education and I look at the fields that I taught in, speech, theater, I mean, in in those areas you get kids who are passionate about those topics. And so as I became a librarian and I started to really explore the technology side, because that's really what intrigued me about library work. It was so much less about reading books and much more about using technology and supporting teachers with technology. And that's the end that I liked, Um, that I really became interested in the idea of student ownership and student autonomy and student agency and the idea that kids need to learn certain things but they also need to explore topics of interest for them. So once I made that shift I started doing work um, at a service center where I supported 39 public schools. I was a director of technology for a school district. I was a coordinator of libraries, and my current role is district coordinator of digital learning for a Google reference district. Now, I really have changed my practice um, since becoming Google certified. I started that process three years ago or so, and now I'm a Google certified educator, one, two, certified trainer and a certified innovator. I got the opportunity to go to Toronto in 2016, and that was probably the most amazing PD experience of my life. I mean, A, you're spending two and a half, three days, in my case, outside the country, 
meeting educators from all over the world who are as passionate as you are, and you get to do it in a Google office, which are some of the coolest workspaces um, anywhere. And, and I really got to delve into what was important to me and what did I want my kids to walk away with. So as you're listening to this podcast, we're gonna talk about some best practices. We're gonna look at some tech tools, but I also want you to remember that a lot of my focus is gonna be on student agency and students learning about things that they wanna learn about and how do they show to the world that new learning. So I hope you stay tuned. Um, More is coming up next. So this segment's going to be called My Two Cents, and this is my opinion. It is based on my experience in education, but you may have experiences very different than mine. So take it all with a grain of salt. So today I really want to discuss with you the importance of student choice in reading. I experienced this as a small child, and it really impacted my love of reading as even an adult. I've seen this in libraries as a librarian. When teachers come in and say, okay, kiddos, you are picking one chapter book and one nonfiction book, and they both have to be in your reading level as designated by Accelerated Reader or Fontes and Pinnell or whatever the reading strategy is for the school. And sometimes that means that students find books that they're really interested in reading, but they don't fit in the very tight criteria that the teacher gives them. Now, having worked with librarians and heard them have similar experiences, it really breaks my heart. And I've seen it personally. I have watched a teacher take a book out of a child's hand because it wasn't in their reading level. And that child really, really wanted to read a book about horses. And there wasn't a book in the library in their specific reading level. And they had found one they wanted to read that was a couple of spots above their reading level. And the teacher said no. And what a defeating experience that was for the child. Now, I have mostly worked with high schoolers, uh, but I had a busy library with dual credit kids who never checked out books. And I would have conversations with them and kind of, I was intrigued. Why are you not a reader? And many of them said it was their experience in elementary school that kind of colored what reading was like as they got older. Some of them bemoaned accelerated reader, that the requirements were so rigorous and and it just beat them down. They had to read so much. Um, my personal experience with Accelerated Reader, you know, I have a son who got the enough points to go to the Accelerated Reader party at the end of the year, but no one told him that that amount of points was all that got him into the party and to be able to earn prizes and food and activities at the party, he had to have more points. Um, I, I think Accelerated Reader came about as a excellent idea to help those struggling readers, but sometimes it has been twisted and turned into a device that really has hindered the reading ability of some students. Now, regardless of what reading strategy or reading program a school uses, I think student choice needs to be at the heart of every reading program. 
If you don't enjoy what you're doing, you're not going to do it. And reading is such an important skill for students to have that if they don't enjoy what they're reading, why would they continue to do it? So I know with the limitation of budgets and the limitation of books being published in specific reading levels, it's very difficult for librarians to have every single book a child would want and every single book in every single reading level that children would be interested in. So I think that we as educators need to look past our very stringent criteria and let kids read what they want to read. While I'm on this topic, um, I've also seen libraries organized by reading level. I kid you not. So instead of it being alphabetical, all the easy books together, there would be sections. So this section is 1 to 1.9, and then this next section is 2 to 2.9, and so on and so forth. What a terrible experience for a child. So let's say I am a fifth grader. I'm the oldest grade at this particular elementary school, but I'm still reading on a 2.5 reading level. While all of my friends are at the five point and up shelf, I have to go to the two point shelf and find my books there. If my teacher says you have to read on your reading level, then that means I'm wearing a huge neon sign that says I'm not reading on grade level. And we don't want to be the people that call out our students for their struggles in in learning. And we don't want to be the people that contribute to them feeling bad about themselves or becoming a um, target for bullies in some way. So... My suggestion to everybody, again, this is my two cents, um, so take it for what it's worth. Let students read whatever they want in the library and don't force reading levels to determine how you organize your books and what books are available to what students. So that's my two cents. So I'm super excited to talk to you about Flipgrid. Now, Flipgrid's been out a few years, but some major things have happened in the last few months that make it just an amazing tool for all types of learning situations. So to start with, Microsoft acquired Flipgrid in the spring and made it free for everybody. Before, there was a free option and then there was some paid options, but now it's just free all over the place, uh, which means that all the great tools are now available to everyone using it, not just a select few who paid for the premium tools. Now you can use a Google account, a Microsoft account, or you can have your own account in Flipgrid. So sign up any way that you want. It's really easy. If your school district is using Google, to just use your Google account. If your school district uses Microsoft, to sign up with that without having to create a whole new account in Flipgrid. But know you have those three options. Another thing that happened in Flipgrid over the summer was a tightened version of security. 
before, back in the day, Flipgrid was just open. And as much as that was nice uh, to be able to get kids in there quickly, it also kind of gave us um, some concern or some parents some concern for having the access to students um, without permission, etc. So the fact that we now have some options for protecting our Flipgrids is amazing. So there's tons of videos out there on Flipgrid. I will have some on my uh, website. There will be some on my YouTube channel um, because we're really digging into Flipgrid this year in my district since it is free. But I want to talk you through some of these tools and how exciting they could be for your classroom regardless of what you teach. Now, This is a great tool for teaching adults, for teaching high school, middle school, and even elementary. I've got second grade teachers using this on my campus all the time. So when we start our new Flipgrid, so you have to think about Flipgrid starts out, you have your account, and then you create these things called grids. So if you think about a filing cabinet, so my Flipgrid account is like a filing cabinet, and one of the drawers is like a grid. It's going to be a little container that holds stuff inside. Now, if I open up that container, that grid, I can put as many folders, or in the Flipgrid world, topics, as I want inside of that, that grid. And then students respond to the topics, which would be like the pieces of paper inside the file, inside the drawer, in my filing cabinet. So I hope that you followed along with that analogy. So the first thing once you've created your account that you have to create is your grid. And the grid is the first option for using these new security features. So you have to give your grid a name and then it asks you, and the question is, what kind of community type are you serving? There is still the completely public grids, which is what the original one was like, but now it prefaces for PLCs and participants over 16 years old. So it gives you some, some an easy kind of clarification. This is really designed for adult learners. So if you are building a PLN, if you are using this with for PD, then you would want a public grid so that anybody in your session could get to it. Now there's two options that help us to make these more secure for our students in a school district. The first one, which would be good for older students, is school email domain. So if you're using Microsoft or you're using Google and the students have an account, uh, an email account, then you can t tie that down to just your domain. So for instance, in my district, we have a domain that our Google accounts are on that's .org. So all I have to type in is the domain name that all of the student emails are connected to, and it automatically signs them in. Because when they sign into Chrome, they're going to be signed into their Google account, and they can access this Flipgrid that way. With older students, this is a perfect tool. It might be good for your PLCs if you're wanting to keep conversations inside your district and not outside on the web. That's a personal preference. Now, there's also a choice now for our littler learners called Student ID List. 
Now with this, you put in students' names and it generates a QR code that you can then print out. And especially with, with our littlest learners, we're seeing lots of tablets, we're seeing lots of iPads. And with this feature, students just open up a QR code reader, scan the QR code that's personalized to them, and then they can have access to the Flipgrid and they can respond. So no typing in, no needing to know a password, We'll leave that for older students and use the student ID list for our littlest learners. Once you've got your grid created, then the next thing to do is add topics. So these are the individual questions that your students will respond to. When you click and add a new topic, you have to give it a topic name and you have to give it a description. All else is optional. Those are the only two required. Now it is nice um, to give some more specifications and you have lots of depth of options here. Um, so just kind of let your brain percolate for with all the possibilities. The first thing you need to decide is how long do you want the response to be? Now by default, it gives you a minute and a half. But if you really wanna challenge your students to be very quick and concise, you could give them a lesser time. The smallest amount of time is 15 seconds. And then it goes up 15 seconds till it gets to a minute. And then it starts, uh, then you have a minute and a half, a two, a two and a half, three and five minute options. So if I was asking my students to uh, create a video in another program and upload it to my Flipgrid, maybe giving them the whole five minute option would be great. But if you want them to verbalize something, less is more, and that forces them to really kind of script what they're gonna say and work on getting it as precise as possible. Now, where you type in your description or question, you have options for adding a link, um, giving it a little bit of text um, with bold and underline and italics. You can do a little bit there, uh, but what really makes it interesting is the ability farther down on the page in section five of picking up a topic of adding links to external documents. So if you think about wanting to add a rubric or maybe you have found several articles about a topic you're discussing in class and you want the students to read one and then give them their response to it through Flipgrid, that would be an option. So any kind of web-based document like Dropbox like Google Docs, like OneNote, can be linked there, as well as a YouTube video. Uh, so let's say I have a video I want them to watch and then give me a response. That's all doable inside of Flipgrid. Now I'm gonna come back to section two of setup of the topic. And this is topic privacy. Now we have discussed the grid community type and how that gives us the ability to kind of hone in on how our students access it and it allows us to post without it being accessible to the world. Now inside of topic privacy is the option for video moderation. And I want you to think about using video moderation um, with topics that you don't necessarily want other students to see. If I am a reluctant student and I'm sitting in the back of a class and I don't want to raise my hand and comment and I don't really want to speak out because I'm kind of shy, 
And then my teacher asks me to get on the computer and talk to the screen, and then that's going to be viewable by my entire class on the internet. That could even be more overwhelming. So using video moderation would allow you as the teacher to be able to view those assignments and view those responses, but you would be the only person that got to see those videos. Maybe you share some out after the fact, or maybe you just ask the students to respond in a moderated question and you're the only person that sees it. Now, it depends on the, the type of conversation you want going on. If you want students to watch each other's response and then reply to those responses, that's an option too. But if you have those reluctant students and you think it would be too overwhelming for them to think about their information being out where other classmates could see it, then maybe moderate your videos and only share the students who are okay with, the, with their information being shared. Now, in section number four of setting up a topic, we can allow our students to upload a video add from YouTube or Vimeo, upload an image, add an emoji, or record a video. Now, by default, the responses are usually record a video. And then the students just open their device and talk directly to the camera. But if you wanted other options, you could give those to your students as well. Now, in the video features of section six, you can toggle on and off whether or not students can reply to each other. And again, this is gonna depend on your activity and the culture that you have inside of your classroom. If you think that your students can handle that, then wonderful, let them respond to each other. But if you think it's gonna get out of hand very quickly, then maybe toggling that off would be a great idea. Now, once you are happy and have made that topic uh, public, you've created the topic, then you can assign that topic to your students. There are some new features inside of Flipgrid that have shown up in the last few months that really make working as a teacher much easier. This is, these are some of those work smarter, not harder kind of options. And one of those is the Disco Library. So in the Disco Library, you can find a topic that a teacher has already used with their class and you can click and save it and modify it and use it for your class. So when you click on the Disco Library, you're gonna see some featured topics and then you're going to be able to search the database based on audience, based on subject, and based on topic goals. So you can find something that's relevant to your students and it just takes a matter of clicking and maybe tweaking a little bit and can be active for your kids right away without a lot of work and time um, invested, which I think all teachers are trying to get back some time. There is an option for Grid Pals, which connects you with other people using Flipgrid somewhere in your country, in your state, or somewhere else in the world even. So you can share a Flipgrid with a different class and they can all respond to the same grid. Now think about it as 
pen pals on steroids. So instead of waiting for that letter to come in the mail, you can connect in real time and leave videos back and forth for each other. You could get the perspective of someone from another country on a topic that's local to you. Uh, you can connect with a class in a different country and maybe your students are learning Spanish and you want to connect with a class in Mexico or in Spain and practice that world language. Lots and lots of options with the Grid Powell uh, option here and really could make your classroom a global, global experience. Now, the most recent addition is the idea of a mixtape. Now, we remember those mixtapes from back in the 70s and 80s, you know, you found the, the songs that you liked, you put your favorite songs on a tape and you handed it to the boy or girl that you liked and, you know, it's romanticized in many a rom-com. But with Flipgrid mixtapes, you can take videos from different topics and different grids and put them together in a compilation kind of video that shows or highlights maybe the best responses from each topic. Now, if you have never tried Flipgrid, I'm going to suggest that you give it a try. These are just simple functions that I think are really important for you to explore. Tons and tons of resources out there. Flipgrid has a resource page with webinars. Lots of people are making YouTube videos. There's tutorials and blog posts all over the place on Flipgrid. I'll share some of my own as well. But if you haven't given Flipgrid a try, I suggest that you do. It could open up a world of possibilities for you and your students. So in the last few days, I have worked with teachers at our elementary and middle and high school on how to use Flipgrid and ways that they could integrate it in their classroom. What was so exciting to me is um, at one particular uh, session at the elementary school, it was early in the morning, by nine o'clock, teacher learned about Flipgrid. And by lunch, she had sent me a video of her students doing Flipgrid and a link to their responses. It, it was that easy for her to turn around. It was very simple. She was working with second graders. She was asking them to deliver a, um, a goal for each day. It's something they would write in their journal. But after Flipgrid, she decided, let me try this tool. And, you know, their first their first um, entrance into the tool was very interesting. You know, they got silly. Uh, but when it's the first time you do something, it's all about learning. And I feel like the best thing she could have done is toss it out there and give them that experience. And then use it as a teachable moment to talk through what's the most important and how you should use this tool. Uh, with When working with our secondary staff, I had a teacher tell me that both she and her daughter, who um, was college age, had been interviewing for jobs that required a recorded webcam portion because the jobs were far away. I have experienced this myself. Uh, if you're applying for a job, maybe a corporate position or a remote kind of job that they go through several levels to see whether or not they want to bring you in face-to-face -face for an interview. Many companies are using a 
flip grid like approach where they'll ask you a question and you'll have to respond by speaking to the webcam on your computer and then they get the link and can watch that. So if we're seeing that now, think about how much of a literacy this is with our students as we bring them up because it's only going to increase. The global market in our economy is opening up huge opportunities, but it also means that we're going to use more technology tools in our everyday life. But it's also part of this, that instead of just teaching kids to read and write, it's important for us to teach them to speak effectively, to communicate their ideas through um, presentation and to practice looking at themselves in a webcam and talking to themselves and reviewing it back and giving themselves evaluations. Um, that's the biggest hurdle I've had maybe not with my students so much, but with adult learners, they don't like to look at themselves. They don't like to hear themselves on camera. And those are things that our kids are going to have to get over because the jobs they have in the future are going to require it. So I want to include a segment each time of a book or a movie or something I think is definitely worth your while. I'm a lifelong learner, a huge fan of podcasts, um, which is why I wanted to try one of my own. Uh, I'm a commuter, and on a good day, my commute takes 30 minutes, but usually it takes upward to an hour and a half. And so audiobooks and podcasts have become a mainstay of my life. Uh, I'm a huge history buff. In fact, I would have majored in history if someone hadn't told me, you know, if you have a history degree and you don't want to coach in Texas, you're going to have a hard time finding a job. So um, that may not be the case everywhere else, but in Texas, most of our history teachers are also coaches. So I didn't want to go that route, but I definitely enjoy documentaries. I enjoy history. When I visit new cities, I'm looking for those history tours because I just find it so fascinating. And one of the things that I like are those unique stories that maybe aren't part of your regular history classes. They didn't make it in the history book, um, but they still are history. And so because of that, I really love a podcast that I've just discovered and have been binge listening to called Stuff You Missed in History Class. And so some of the recent episodes have been about, um, one I listened to recently was about Peg Entwistle, who may or may not be a name you've ever heard. She was an actress in Hollywood, and she jumped to her death from the Hollywood sign. Um, just this interesting little kind of piece of true crime and history all kind of tied together, which is the things that I am super um, interested in. I think that one of the reasons that musicals like Hamilton have become so popular, and if you haven't seen the musical or listen to the music, then you are missing out. Go do it right now. Um, is because it takes a historical figure that we 
may have seen in our history books and are very stodgy and uptight and they've made them real people with real stories and real narratives and you can understand their struggles instead of just that paragraph in a history book where we hear about Aaron Burr and Alexander Hamilton um, having a duel and Alexander Hamilton dying. You know, that's, that's, that's about all your history book says. But I love deep dives into the stories behind the history. So if you like that too, I would suggest the podcast Stuff You Missed in History Class. Give it a listen. So that's it for today, folks. I hope you let students read the books of their choice. I hope you use Flipgrid in your classrooms. You can use Flipgrid for book talks and letting those students share the books that they've read, those books of their choice. And I hope you come back and listen to the next version of Let's Tech About Learning podcast. See you later. Thanks for listening. Catch us next time on the Let's Tech About Learning podcast. Find this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, and Google Play. Plus, visit our website at letstechaboutlearning.com. Until next time.